All right, with that, open up your Bibles to Second Peter. Amen. Second Peter 1, 1 through 15. So we're beginning a brand new series. And frankly, I have never preached through this book ever the entirety of my time here at The Promise, so I'm excited. But 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. If you're joining us here in person, you'll see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it on your screen at home. But please follow along as I read. This is God's word. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, make knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good and you are so holy, and Lord God, you are with us, and we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for just this time to gather and to worship freely and to hear your word freely. And we don't know, Father, what's gonna happen in our futures, Father. Maybe there may come a time when we can't do this freely, but Lord God, but even then, Lord, we desire and we yearn, Father, to gather and to hear your word. And so, Lord God, I pray and ask, Lord, that you would just open up your word to us now, that you would speak it to our hearts, that you would give me, Father God, boldness and faith to bring the message, that you would hide me behind your word. Father God, meet us today, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're very excited to begin a whole new journey in the book of 2 Peter, but why 2 Peter? And what happened to 1 Peter? (laughs) Why are you skipping over that? So those are good questions that hopefully will get answered as we journey through this letter together. But here's my overall answer to why we're going to be looking at 2 Peter. So let me just give it to you right up front. But it's because of the times we're living in and the struggle that believers are having navigating through these times. 
So that's the reason why I decided to preach through this book. You know, recently I was listening to a Christian theologian named Carl Truman, and he said that we live in unprecedented times. We live in unprecedented times. Now, he acknowledged people have always said that in every generation. So, for example, everyone thinks that the events in their lifetime are crazy. Just talk to your grandparents. I'm sure they'll tell you all about it, right, their lives. But being a student of history, Truman said no. Our time right now truly is unprecedented, at least for people living here in the West. He said, for example, there is a fundamental new way people are seeing human nature and what it means to be human. So that's changing. There's also a collapse of traditional institution happening right before our eyes, like the government, media, banks, and schools. I don't think anyone would argue that there is a deep mistrust in all of these institutions. That wasn't always the case, but that's happening now. I would add to that, so that's Truman, but I would add to that there's also the arrival of new technology that humanity has never seen before. You know what it's called, AI. It stands for artificial intelligence, like our vice president explained to us. <laughs> never mind. But AI, she's like, AI, it stands for artificial intelligence. But all these things are happening. They're changing very rapidly. Some people say that this technology will revolutionize the way we live our lives more than electricity. So think about that. I can't even imagine what that might look like. So we do, in fact, live in unprecedented times. And when you look now at the United States, this is especially true. But hear this. We are seeing things in our country that we have not seen since the founding of this country. And you're living right through it. So for example, paganism is on the rise. Paganism has never dominated in our country. But according to studies done by Trinity College and Pew Research, the number of pagans and Wiccans went from 8,000 in 1990 to you know how many today? Over two million. That's an increase of 250 times. Back in 2018, the Pew Research Center found that there are now more witches than Presbyterians in the US and the number of witches continues to grow. In 2019, a professor at the University of North Carolina wrote a book on UFOs. I'm kind of interested in UFOs as a pastor. I just feel like it's part of my job. But this person wrote a book on the UFO phenomenon, and she found that about 60% of Americans believe in UFOs. Maybe we have some people right here <laughs> a part of that. Last year, the Pentagon received hundreds of new reports on UFO sightings, and they said 171 of them require, quote-unquote, further analysis. In other words, we got to look into that. We're going to take it seriously. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe all of that comes from spiritual deception, but what's interesting is when you start reading into what all these people in paganism and the UFO movement, what they're saying, a lot of them, what they're looking for is some sort of salvation from this world, but that's what they're looking for, salvation. Okay, what else is changing? The redefinition of human nature and human sexuality has also risen dramatically, and you guys all know that. Recently, NBC, mainstream media, reported on a global survey that found that 10% of millennials identify as LGBTQ. That same report found that nearly 20% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. That's one in five. Think about that. I just saw a report recently that said there's an Ivy League school in the U.S. that has a student body that reports almost 40% as LGBTQ. Okay, I'm not going to name what school that is. You can look it up on your own. 
But 40% of the student body say they're LGBTQ. Now, just for context, back in 20, uh, 2008, only 2.9% of the U.S. population identified as LGBTQ. And that survey was totally anonymous, so there was no reason for people to lie on it. I believe that is probably the more accurate number, 2.9%. Only 15 years ago. But this is all changing so rapidly. Hopelessness is also growing in our society. Men in the U.S. are struggling, yes. Okay, guys are struggling. Several books have been written on this. But in 2020, there was an overall decline in college enrollment because of COVID. So a lot of people stopped going to college. But the decline in men going to college was seven times greater than women. Some of you, some of you college women are looking around going, where are all the guys? That's the right answer. Where are all the guys? The decline was seven times greater among men than women going to college. Also, more and more men in their prime, we're talking about men 25 to 54 years old, are not working. See, back 60 years ago, 97% of men in their prime were working. It was almost impossible to find a guy in his prime who didn't work. They all worked, almost. Today, only 88.5% of men in their prime are working. That's huge numbers of men who are able-bodied, they can work, but they're just not working. Also, deaths from drug overdose, suicide, and alcohol-related illness are three times higher in men than in women. So guys are not doing well in our country. But women, they're not off the hook either. Recently, the CDC, okay, this is the government, put out a report that said almost 60% of girls in the U.S. claim to have, okay, quote-unquote, persistent sadness and hopelessness. I don't even know what that exactly means. How do you measure that? But that's double the number of boys who are sad and hopeless. The same report said that 13% of high school girls surveyed had attempted suicide in the last year. And people believe a lot of that despair is driven by social media. And so you guys have heard a lot of that. So what am I saying? This is not a pretty picture. And I haven't even mentioned the rise in mass shootings in our country more than ever before in the history of our nation. Human trafficking is at the highest levels in our nation's history. So the picture is clear. Okay, we live in unprecedented times. I think Truman is absolutely correct. And there's this kind of unraveling happening in our society. I think people can look around and kind of see it. If you could just kind of look up from your books or from your cubicle every now and then, right? Turn off Netflix for a moment, you'll, you'll just see it. There are fundamental shifts happening in our nation, in our culture, in fact, I would say around the world, especially in the developed world. And Christians are not immune to it. You know, just this past week, I got this promotional email. I get these from time to time. And it was on a book that just came out called The Great De-Churching. The Great De-Churching. I don't think the book's out yet. It was kind of like a promotional. But it's based on a study that the people at the Gospel Coalition did. And this is what they found. But it said, I'm, I'm going to quote, we're currently in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of the United States. 40 million adult Americans who used to go to worship monthly now no longer go at all. One in six American adults have just vanished from houses of worship across the country. And most of that shift, shift happened years. So huge numbers of people vanishing from churches. And you know, I've personally witnessed this with people that I know, that I actually know, some of these people I actually even served God with, went to missions together, and little by little, I'm hearing more and more of these people that I've known saying, oh yeah, so-and-so left the church, didn't go anymore. Some of them even left the faith. 
They don't even call themselves Christian anymore. There is a little bit of good news, though. The authors did say in the middle of all this bad news, though, there are tremendous, uh, there is tremendous good news. Over half of the de-church are willing to return today. That's more than 20 million people. So it's not like they're permanently gone. A lot of them are willing to come back. They just don't know how to come back. So given these dark, unprecedented times, here's the big question. Okay, here's the reason why I want to go through 2 Peter. But how should we live? Amen? How should we live? Is it just about school, work, Netflix, go to bed, wake up, school, work? Is it just that? Make money, buy a house, raise some kids. Is that that? Well, while we're in the midst of that, the rug might be pulled out from under you, under all of us. The very world we're expecting to have in the future might not be there when we finally arrive. So how should we live? Yeah, how should we live so that we don't fall away and fall into false teachings and false ideologies all around us? And not only that, but how should we live so that we thrive spiritually in these dark times? So that we would grow in godliness and holiness. So that we would live lives that are pleasing to God. Well, those are the same questions that Peter addressed in his second letter. These are the exact same questions. Because Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were also living in dark and unprecedented times in his generation. So he wrote this letter to Gentile Greek Christians probably living in northern Asia Minor. That would be modern day northern Turkey. So these were not Jewish Christians. It was not a Jewish audience. We know that based on the kind of Greek that Peter used. We'll get into that in the weeks ahead. But he wrote this letter to this Greek Gentile audience. He wrote it near the end of his life, probably around the year 64 to 67 AD. So 64 to 67 AD. And based on what Peter says in the letter, he probably wrote it from prison in Rome shortly before being executed for his faith. And so we actually saw that in our passage, the last two verses, I think, talk about his departure, right? Before I depart, the Lord has made it clear to me, I'm going to leave soon. So he did die for his faith. So during this time, Nero was emperor of Rome. He was actually an insane man. He was, historians know that he was crazy. But when a great fire broke out in Rome in 64 AD, which some historians say Nero lit himself. So he lit this fire, some say, and then he blamed that great fire on the Christians, And then he brutally persecuted the Christians. And it was during this time that Paul and Peter were likely executed. This is when they both died. And legend says that Peter, when he was executed, he was crucified upside down. And the reason why is because he asked for that. He felt unworthy to die in the same manner that Jesus did. So as they stretched out his arms upon the cross, he said, can you crucify me upside down? I don't want to die like my Lord. So that was the backdrop to 2 Peter. And there was darkness and persecution everywhere pressing in on the church from the outside. And there was also false teaching and false ideology spreading on the inside throughout the church. So this is what was going on. And all of this was causing believers to become compromised, immoral, or apostate. And what does that sound like, you guys? That's the church today. Yeah, and, and I'm, I, you know, I, I really try not to exaggerate. I know pastors get accused a lot for hyperbole, exaggerating. But when I look at what's happening in the church today, I, that is no exaggeration. You see compromise, immorality, and people leaving, leaving the faith. 
and you see all this persecution and all this darkness on the outside. So this doesn't sound too different from what is happening today. So then here's the same question again. Given these dark times, how then should we live? How should you live? How should you live so that you don't fall away or fall into false ideologies all around us? And not only that, but how should you live so that you will thrive spiritually, so that you're gonna actually grow in holiness and godliness during these times? Well, those are the questions in 2 Peter that Peter begins to answer. And Peter's answer, it really is found in the opening paragraph, but Peter's answer in the opening paragraph is simply this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that sounds so old, so familiar, but Peter doesn't offer us a new thing, he points us back to an old thing. We already have the answer for the times we live in. It is the gospel. And so Peter here is writing to a group of believers who already know this. So that's why he keeps saying, recall, remember, I'm reminding you. So Peter's reminding them of the gospel that saved them. It is what will anchor them in the gathering storm. It is what will enable them to grow and mature as believers. And this is the same gospel that we need today. More than anything, this is the gospel we need in our dark time. So today I want to look at what Peter says in the opening paragraph of this letter about the gospel. He right from the beginning, bam, he just goes right into the gospel. And I want to look at how this gospel will keep us from falling away and keep us growing in Christ. So specifically, I want to look at how Peter lays out our gospel goal, our gospel foundation, our gospel progress, and then finally our gospel accountability. And you know what? I, I, just get, I always get carried away writing my sermon out, and it got super, super long. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Actually, Brother Sam is going to preach next week. We might have to change that up. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it. I don't know why I'm saying this publicly. <laughs> Sorry, that should have been something I say in my head. I just said it out loud. <laughs> But it got really long, so I might have to carry it over into next week, okay? But we're going to cover the first two points today. I don't know why I said that out loud. Okay, (laughs) so the first two points today. So first, our gospel goal, a faith that will not fall, a faith that will not fall. Now, Peter does not give us this goal, this gospel goal at the very beginning of the letter, but he kind of gives it to us a little further down, starting in verse 10. So he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, and we're kind of skipping what those qualities are, but all these qualities he mentioned. If you practice them, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And right there, when he said, therefore, in verse 10, he said, therefore, he's basically saying in summary. Here's a summary. He's saying, this is why I'm writing these words in the previous verses. Okay, that, that's what that therefore is referring to. Okay, in summary, this is why I'm writing this. And what was the reason why Peter wrote those words about the gospel in the earlier verses? Well, he told us in verse 10 so that we would be diligent in making our faith sure, our salvation sure, our election, our calling sure. In other words, so that our faith wouldn't fall. That's what he's talking about, so that your faith won't fall in these dark times. And then he gives us another goal, verse 11, so that by God's grace, you would enter heaven. 
you would have eternal life in the eternal kingdom of Christ. You would go to heaven. So is that simple? He's saying, I'm writing all these things, believers. Times are dark. I'm about to go. I'm going to be executed. But I'm going to remind you, there are goals in front of you, which is your faith standing firm that it wouldn't fall and that you would enter the eternal kingdom of Christ. These are goals I want to put in front of you. So what is he talking about? These are gospel goals. Peter was saying in these dark and challenging times, there are goals to your salvation. How many of you guys know that? When you got saved, Jesus saved you for certain things. There are goals to your Christian life. And again, it's to have faith that will not fall away and to enter into Christ's eternal kingdom. By the way, exactly what millions of Christians or quote-unquote Christians are not going to do because they have fallen away and they're not going to enter Christ's kingdom. And so these are the two clear goals Peter puts right in front of the churches and reaching these goals will depend on both God's grace, Peter said in verse 11, there will be richly provided for you. Okay, you're not going to do this on your own. God's grace is going to help you. Some, his grace will richly provide for you and is going to be based on our diligent effort. Both God's grace and our effort. He said in verse 10, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So you guys see that? Both. This is very important stuff, you guys. So both God's grace and our diligent effort are working together to make us reach those goals. He both. And throughout the Christian life, you always see both at work. I'll I'll jump into that more next time because we're going to really see that unfold in the earlier verses. But if you're going to reach these goals in your Christian life, you need God's grace and your own effort. You know, I gave that example of LeBron James, right? LeBron James, let's say you're in a two-on-two tournament, basketball tournament. How many of you guys like basketball? But let's say, by God's grace, your teammate is LeBron. That is grace. And because you're his teammate in the two-on-two tournament, you're going to win the whole thing. You know it, right? Because everyone else, they're chumps, right? They're just high school players. You know, they're just recreational players. But LeBron's on your team. But in order to win the entire tournament, to win the goal, what has to happen? You need to get off the bench. You need to run up and down the court. (laughs) Right? LeBron's going to score most of the points. He'll do most of the work. That's the grace in your life. But you need to work hard. And you better believe it. Are you going to work hard? Yes. Work harder than ever before. But at the end of it all, are you going to say, hey, look at it. Look, you know, who did it? It was me. No. You're going to be like, it was him. It was all him. Right? I worked hard, but it was him. See, that's the Christian life. When you finally reach these goals, you're like, it was all him. It was God. But I worked harder than anyone. So it is both God's grace and our diligent effort working together to reach these goals. Here's another analogy, but it's kind of like climbing a greasy pole. I heard the Christian life being described this way. I don't really like this analogy, but I think it's true. But the Christian life is kind of like climbing a greasy pole. And at the very top of that pole is the goal of eternity with Christ. Okay, that's the goal at the very top. But you're on this greasy pole and you are either being diligent and climbing upward or if you're not being diligent, what's happening? You're sliding downward. That's it. You're either climbing upward or you're sliding downward. And that's your effort. But when we start sliding downward, at the moment as you're sliding downward, you know what you realize? You look below you and then you see Christ. He's right there below you to catch you, to help you, to push you back up, to keep climbing, and that's his grace. 
Okay, I don't like that analogy. It's not perfect, but you get the picture. He has both. The Christian life is really like that. It is like a greasy pole. And there's really only two directions. You're climbing up with diligent effort in God's grace or you're sliding down with no effort and ignoring God's grace. And so this is why Peter puts these goals clearly in the minds of all the believers because he doesn't want them to fall in those dark times. And even at the human level, studies have shown, for example, in places like Harvard Business School, that simply just having goals, okay, just to have goals in your life significantly increases a person's level of achievement and performance. Okay, this is what they found out. Okay, that simple act alone, just putting a goal in front of you will significantly increase achievement and performance. And the reason why is because goals give you focus. Immediately, there's a target. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it, right? But immediately, you have a focus. They give you motivation. They allow you to measure your progress. You know when you're not progressing. You know when you're sliding backwards. You know when you're moving forwards. So a goal can help you to do all those things. And yet, how many Christians wake up each day with no goal whatsoever in their Christian lives? Okay, let's be honest. How long has it been since you've actually thought about my Christian life going somewhere? Other than this vague notion of, oh, when I die, I'll be in heaven. Somewhere, I'll be in heaven. Other than that, how many of you guys have woken up recently and said, you know, there's a goal to my Christian life? You know, years ago, R.C. Sproul mentioned a survey in one of his books, and this survey found that the main reason many Americans stopped going to church was that they found it boring. <laughs> I hope that's not true here, but a lot of Christians in America stopped going because they said it's just boring. In other words, there's nothing that they're aiming for in their Christian lives. There's nothing that they're striving to become or have by the grace of God, okay? They, they wake up every day and they're Christians aiming at nothing. My Christian life, I don't know. I'm just kind of a Christian. I try to be good and one day when I die, I go to heaven, I guess. But day to day, there's no purpose. There's no striving. There's no goal. And so these bored Christians are aimless Christians. And sooner or later, they will leave the church. And some have even left the faith. And I, I don't blame them. Why keep going and doing something that has no point to it? There's no point to my Christian life. And if Sproul called boredom and aimlessness a danger more than 10 years ago, that book that he wrote where he quoted that was in 2013. But if he said that more than 10 years ago, how dangerous do you think having no goal is today? Being aimless, purposeless in your Christian walk. How dangerous is that today? Very dangerous. It's much darker now. By God's grace, Sproul left this earth before he got to see it, really. He saw a lot of it, but he passed away a few years ago. So Peter here is reminding the believers that there are clear gospel goals for which Christ has saved you. He didn't save you for nothing, right? He didn't save you for no purpose. But he saved you first so that your faith would be sure, it would be anchored and unwavering in the gospel. Do you think about that? Do you wake up and say, you know what? One goal in my life is my faith needs to be rock solid. So I better give some attention to that. I better, by God's grace, strive diligently. My faith better not waver. This is a goal in my life. And here's the second one, entering Christ's eternal kingdom. You know, I just want to kind of blow this up right now, but so many Christians, especially in America, believe that just because I raised my hand, I said a little prayer, I call myself a Christian, I'll be in heaven. I'll be in heaven. For sure I'm in heaven. And yet, listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end 
he will be saved. She will be saved. But isn't it grace though? It's grace. Yes, it is grace. But what does that grace do in a person's life? It will make them endure. So only the one who endures to the very end. In other words, the one on the last day of his or her life, as they are passing into eternity, they still say, Jesus is Lord. He's my God. He's my only salvation. He's the only one I worship. I believe in his gospel. Okay, that's the only person who's gonna go to heaven. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So Peter's saying, make that your goal. Okay, make these your goals. Keep them always before you. So is that clear? Okay, as Christians, I, I would encourage you, especially during these times, you gotta have a purpose. You can't just be aimless. You can't just make your goal, I'm gonna make it to church every Sunday. Okay, that's a pretty low bar. I'm glad you're here, but that's a pretty low bar. So have an unwavering faith and let's enter the eternal kingdom of Christ. But how do you exactly reach these goals? Okay, how exactly do you reach these goals? Well, he tells us in the rest of the paragraph. So we kind of jump to verse 10, right? But if you back up all the way to verse one, he begins to tell you how do you reach these goals? So there are three different ways. Okay, first, you reach these goals by having a gospel foundation. They actually build on each other. But first, you have a gospel foundation. So this is our next point, our gospel foundation, faith in Christ. So you have gospel goals, now you must have a gospel foundation. Look at 2 Peter 1, 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. How many guys call that? <laughs> Most of us, we just kind of go numb. <laughs> you start going blind, right? You're looking at all these words. Whoa, a lot of words there. It's kind of like when you're like at Costco and somebody just cranks up the stereo because they, they want to like test it out. And it's like pumping loud music. And after a while, you're like, I don't hear anything, right? It's just so loud. But that's the way it is here. These verses are just so loud, declaring the glories of the gospel, one after another, just pumping sound after sound of glory that you kind of go numb, right? It's like, whoa. But I want us to kind of back up because Peter's so clear. If you're gonna reach the gospel goals we just looked at, again, having a sure faith, a rock solid faith and entering Jesus' eternal kingdom, that is like building a tall building. And we're gonna see that more next time. But your Christian life is like building a tall building with God's grace, of course. But building a tall building and before you build, you need a foundation. Okay, everything you're gonna build in your Christian life starts with a foundation. And that is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that foundation, you're building nothing. And whatever you're building is gonna fall over. But it starts with the foundation of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here, here's Peter. He's just pounding, right? Glory after glory of the gospel in the first few verses. Because Peter knew the gospel had become familiar to his readers. And it was a very dark time. So their faith was becoming shaky. So Peter knew. 
And so in these opening verses of the letter, he reminded them of the incredible, glorious riches of their faith in Christ. So let me just highlight what he, what he said. Okay, look at what he says. Verse one, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, already it's like, whoa, right from the beginning, we should be thinking, whoa, you have a faith equal and standing to who? Who is Peter talking about? He's referring to himself and the apostles. He's just writing to any old church, you know, a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. And he says, your faith has equal standing to ours. He's referring to apostles like Peter, John, Paul, James. These are pillars of the church. These are great men who laid down their lives for the gospel and they changed the world. That's why we're here today. These apostles, Peter says, your faith is equal to theirs, equal to mine, in standing. But how can that be, right? So again, whoa, whoa, what are you saying? How can that be? Well, the reason why your faith and my faith is equal in standing before God, like the apostles, is, what did he say? It's not based on our righteousness, but on whose righteousness? It says it right here is based on the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what he did. Are you guys excited about that? I mean, does that even like move you? You're sitting here, I don't care what you did this past week, I don't care who you are, if you're truly in Christ, your faith has equal standing as Peter, the martyr who was crucified upside down, the pillar of the church. Your faith has equal standing to him. Okay, if you don't really like Peter, then what about Paul, right? Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. My kids recently was blown, they were blown away by that. We were talking about the New Testament. It's like, Paul wrote that much? Yeah, Paul wrote a lot. Your faith has equal standing to Paul? This is what Peter says. So that is gospel foundation. It's not based on your righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus, what he did for you. Okay, brothers and sisters, if that is not even there in your life, you have no foundation. You are not a Christian. So this is the foundation. Okay, it goes on, verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, this is just a standard greeting in a letter, but Peter uses it, this greeting, to mention another glorious blessing of our faith in Christ. Here it is, grace and peace multiplied throughout your life. You know, when you're younger, you don't really think a lot about grace and peace. You think about like, I don't know, I was about to say the S-E-X word. (laughs) You think about like joy, you think about money, you think about a lot of other things. But as you grow older, like me, grace and peace are amazing. Grace and peace is what brings true happiness in life. And, And Peter here says, because of your faith in Christ, they are multiplied in your life. The picture I get are like ocean waves on a beach if you've been to the ocean lately or the beach recently, you know that the waves begin to just pound and wash over the sand on the beach one after another, right? It never stops. The waves just keep coming, wash over the sand. They keep coming. And that's the way grace and peace of Jesus is in our lives. It keeps coming. It just washes over us throughout our day, throughout our weeks, throughout our months and years. And it comes, why? Peter says, through your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So if you know God, and this knowledge here is an intimate knowing, if you know him, that grace and peace just keeps coming like the waves on the beach. 
And yet, as a pastor, it's sad to say this, but unfortunately, the most frequent thing I hear all the time from people is what? I feel spiritually dry. Pastor Roy, I feel spiritually dry. Next person I meet, I feel spiritually dry. Next person I meet, I feel spiritually dry. Sometimes I, you know, I get it, I've been there, but sometimes I just, I just wonder, why? <laughs> why? It's like a person who has a fridge packed with meat, right? T-bone steak, top to bottom. It's just packed by God's grace, it's all there, T-bone steak, filling your fridge, your freezer is overflowing, and it's like, Pastor Roy, I'm hungry. Pastor Roy, I'm so hungry. Next time I meet him, Pastor Roy, I'm so hungry. I'm starving. Um... Have you opened your fridge recently? <laughs> it is stacked with T-bone steak, top to bottom. Peter says, there is grace and peace multiplied day after day, washing over your life. Okay, that is another gospel foundation. Okay, what else? Verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Another just blow your mind statement. Okay, we gotta slow down here. His divine power... God's divine power has granted or given you freely what? All things that pertain or all things necessary for life, true life, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay, that, that's another woe. Mind-blowing statement. But Peter says, through your faith in Christ, you already have everything you need to have life in God and to grow in godliness. Did you know that? You're just sitting here and you're like, you know, I didn't have a good week. Pastor Roy, I'm spiritually dry. Okay. But do you know you have everything within you for true life in God and godliness? It's kind of like a human baby. But when a human baby is born, let's say a little baby girl is born, she already has all the parts and organs that she will need to become a mature adult. Am I, am I right? There's a, a lot of doctors here. Am I right? Am I wrong there? Is there, is there like a limb that grows later in life, Right? <laughs> Right? You're not born with one eye and then slowly, when you're 10 years old, another eye forms, right? You're born with everything intact. All it has to do now is just mature. And that's what Peter is saying with you. The baby Christian is the same way. The baby Christian already has all the spiritual parts and organs necessary to become a mature believer. You don't need anything else. It's all there. It just needs to grow now and develop. So God's divine power through Jesus Christ has given it all to us. Okay, you don't need to go find some new teaching, some new guru, go to another church. I mean, you can if you'd like, but you already have everything you need sitting here for true life in God and godliness. You know, I remember one of my professors in seminary taught something on the Apostle Paul. I'll never forget it. But he said, when, well, he said it's not just him. Him and a few other Bible scholars believe this. But when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, many of you guys know the story, but Paul was a Christian killer. He persecuted the church and he was on the road to Damascus to arrest more Christians, to put him in jail. And then on the road, while on his horse, Jesus met him in a vision. He appeared to Paul, bright light, knocked, I, don't, I don't know if he got knocked off his horse. He might've gotten knocked off his horse and he was blinded. And then right in that moment, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is what my professor said, and other theologians say the same thing. But everything that he needed to know about God and himself and Christianity, the true Christian life and the gospel was revealed in that single moment. Everything. Just in seed form. It just had to develop over time. 
So think about it. Think about all the things Paul talks about, right? All the incredible mysteries he talks about. But in that single moment when he got knocked off his horse, he met Jesus. Okay, what, what did he realize? The glory of God revealed as light. Paul talks a lot about light, right? The light of God. He saw it. The deity and lordship of Christ. Lord, Lord, who are you? Right, he realized Jesus is Lord. The resurrection of Christ. Oh, I thought they killed you, but you're here in front of me. You're resurrected. The spiritual blindness of those in the world, he got blinded. New life in Christ, he got transformed. He went from Christian killer to now the greatest missionary. The understanding of the church as Christ's body because somebody had to come and pray for him, another believer, to open his eyes. And of course, salvation by grace through faith alone. Why me, God? Why'd you choose me? I killed your church. I killed your people. It's my grace. So think about how much Paul immediately realized and see form in that moment. And then over the course of his life, it just grew. But it wasn't just theology though, right? It wasn't just head knowledge. But in that moment when he got knocked off his horse, met Jesus, everything that he needed to change in his heart was given. He had all the power he needed, all the grace, all the peace. It was all given in that single moment. So what am I saying? The same thing Peter is. You have everything. Okay, all the divine power of God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Again, like a human ba baby, you were born spiritually with all your organs and body parts. So that is another foundation of your faith. Okay, what else? Peter mentions one more thing. He says in verse four, God has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And these precious and very great promises enable us to do something else. Okay, this blows your mind too. Become partakers of the divine nature. I'll say that again. To become partakers. In other words, you get a part of this. You get God's divine nature. In other words, we literally have God's nature placed within us. This is most likely talking about the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit is placed within you. But see, let's not make it vague. Let's make it specific. What does that mean? It means at the moment of conversion, when you become a true believer, you got God's mind. You don't have to wonder walking around going, oh, what is God thinking? Okay, what is God like? You have his mind. It says you have the mind of Christ. You have his emotions. You begin to feel the things God feels. The things that make him happy, they start making you happy. The things that make you really, make him grieve and sad, make you grieve and sad. You get his desires, right? His desire for truth, goodness, beauty. You didn't like those things before, maybe a little bit. But you start desiring the things he desires. His power, right? His ability, ability to do things and bring effect in his life. You begin to experience that power. So in other words, you have his nature. And how did that happen? Well, again, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's the fullness of God. See, is, do you see how mind-blowing this is? So in the moment of conversion, it's kind of like you went from a sock puppet that's just kind of laying on a table to suddenly now there's a hand, right? A hand inside the sock puppet with the voice and the movements of the puppet master. I don't know. I could have thought of a better analogy, but that's the best one I, I could think of. <laughs> I'll think of a better one next time. But, but that, that's what it is. You're like a sock puppet and now the hand and voice of the master is inside of you. You have his very nature within you. And now with this divine nature and only with this divine nature, Peter says, can you escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire? All that craziness I mentioned in the beginning. How are you gonna escape that? What are you gonna do? 
What are you going to do when society truly begins to unravel? And I know a lot of us here, you probably don't believe that. It's like, no, life always is the same. Okay, this country is going to keep going the way it has. There's no guarantee, brothers and sisters. Everything I mentioned earlier, I mean, are those things stabilizing society or are they destabilizing? Okay, that's a whole other message. They're destabilizing. And if nothing is done to reverse it, it'll continue to destabilize until society as we know it is different. The country as we know it is different. So what are you going to do? How are you going to stand against all that? How are you going to keep your faith? How are you going to escape the corruption of this world? Through the divine nature in you. That's what Peter's saying. So all of this is our gospel foundation, a faith that is equal standing with the apostles. Not because of your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. Okay, a grace and peace that multiplies daily upon your life like waves on a beach. His divine power giving you everything you need for life and godliness is all there. All the body parts, all the organs are already there. And finally, receiving God's own divine nature through his spirit coming into you, living with you when you got saved. So that is the gospel foundation. That, that is what will enable you to make your faith sure in these dark times. So do you believe that? Okay, do you have faith in these glorious gospel blessings? Okay, do you have this foundation? Because this is the only foundation you're gonna truly build on. Okay, no other foundation, just having some like warm feelings when you come to church, that's not a foundation. Okay, you reading some encouraging things every now and then in the Bible to kind of give you a pick you up, pick me up, that's not a foundation. This is the foundation. Do you have that? Or do these things just seem like words? I don't know. Do these seem far away, not real to you? Okay, which one? Is it a real foundation or it's just a lot of words? Well, I want to close with this, but I want to tell you from personal experience that every gospel blessing Peter mentions here has become real in my life over the years. I don't know how. Exactly, but somehow, in some way, through faith in Christ, all these realities have, things have become real in my life. And I don't say this in any kind of like, you know, presumption or anything, but they drive me. You know, I'm becoming older and older. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm, I'm getting older, but I'm 46 years old now. I'm about to become 47. And I'm here to tell you guys that this still drives me, these things, this drive that God has placed in me when I was 18 years old, okay, me believing in these things and pursuing Christ, this has not gone away. Okay, it is still very much in my life. And I don't know why, really, it's just God's grace, but it's growing stronger. It's growing stronger. I mean, was I excited for God when I was 18? Yeah, sure, I loved it. I love worshiping, I love going to church and doing things, going on missions. But now I'm telling you, 30 years later, I'm almost 50. We're all going to be there one day. You're going to be there too. So don't look down on me. Don't judge me, okay? You're going to be there soon. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. I'm old. I'm old. I'm old, okay? And this passion for Jesus is growing stronger, brothers and sisters. I'm not making this up. I have more desire and drive today to believe the gospel, pursue Christ, experience these realities. I mean, as I was preparing this message earlier this week, I'm like, Lord, I want more of this. I'm not like, oh, yeah, 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 gospel, I know it. It's like, Lord, I've only tasted. I want more of it, Lord. And all of this, believe me, is in spite of who I am. Again, I don't say any of this with any illusion about myself because I know who I am. I know my sinful patterns. I know my selfishness. I know my judgmental spirit, my self-pitying. Right, honey? 
I don't know. Right, honey? <laughs> when I say honey, I'm referring to my wife. Okay, she knows me. I know myself. Okay, my lack of passion and aspirations, okay, by nature, I, I just really had no aspirations in life. You know, I remember when I was growing up, uh, my brothers and my friends all had like their walls covered, right, with posters. It was kind of the thing to do in the late 80s and early 90s, right? Maybe it's not cool anymore. But like posters of like sports cars, athletes, celebrities, whatever, right? And then they come into my room and they're like, wow, Roy, you live in a prison cell. There's like, there's like nothing on my walls, right? I had nothing up. Eventually, I decided to take, uh, uh, I remember I was eating Wheaties, can't you tell? <laughs> but I was eating Wheaties and Michael Jordan was on the front of the box. I decided, you know what, I'll cut that out and I put that on my wall. I, no joke, for years, I just literally had one little picture of Michael Jordan, a Wheaties box on my wall. That was it. I figured I needed something on my wall. And I kind of like watching Michael Jordan, you know. I was never a true fan. I never went crazy over him. But that was it. And I didn't have a lot of interests, a lot of aspirations. I had some here and there, you know, reading some, video games some, playing some basketball with friends. I just did what was told, I was told to do, you know, went to school, studied. But nothing grabbed my heart. And then Jesus revealed himself to me one day when I was in college. And I, I won't go into that story again. But he revealed himself to me. And more accurately, he probably revealed himself over time, over a period of time. But either way, he showed up in my life. He revealed himself to me with just the smallest movement of reaching out. And this is why I want to share this, because I want to encourage you guys. If these gospel realities are not real to you, if you don't have this foundation, it just takes the smallest movement of reaching out. I remember during that time in my life, I just made the smallest movement of reaching out to God. God, are you there? Barely even a prayer in my heart towards God. And then Jesus revealed himself. The gospel came alive. And in that moment, I could see what I couldn't see before. Suddenly, I could just see it. See, I grew up hearing the whole time in church, growing up, yeah, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for me, the gospel, gospel. But for the first time, I could really see it. I could see the glory, the beauty, the truth of it. I realized this is it. This is my only salvation. How could I have overlooked this before? How can I save myself, really, a person like me? Right? I had no aspirations. I'm a sinner through and through. How can I save myself? How can I reach the standard of God? It had to be him. And so in that moment, those realities that Peter talked about, they rushed into my life and it began to drive me. He lit a passion in my heart for Christ. And again, I don't say there was any illusion, right? Because I know who I am. But fast forward, I'm 40, almost 47 now, and that drive and desire has not gone away. Even this past week, I was just thinking about my life going, gosh, I, you know, I have kind of a weird life, you know? How did I end up being a pastor? I think about that sometimes. And I, and I can't explain it. I don't know why. I, I, I didn't want to be a pastor ever. Not until Jesus revealed himself. And yet I'm here to tell you, this is the only thing I can imagine doing because that drive is growing stronger. And it's not me, brothers and sisters. Do you understand? This is why sometimes when I talk to people and they say, oh, I'm just dry, I'm dry, I don't know, God's far away. I understand, I've been there. But overall, I kind of don't understand. Do you understand what you have in Christ? And that lit fire in you can only get stronger. I don't understand any other way. It only gets stronger. Yes, there are dry periods. Yes, there are dips. Yes, there are tragedies. And I've been through a lot of tragedies. But it's only getting stronger, brothers and sisters. By the grace of God. So brothers and sisters, this is the gospel foundation we must all have. 
Why? Because we live in very dark times. And next time, we're gonna look at two more ways the gospel will keep us from falling away. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father. We give you all the glory, and we give you all the praise, and you are awesome. And Lord God, I don't know. I don't know how else to communicate these truths, Lord. But they are true, and they are real. And they have changed my life, and they have changed millions of people's lives. And a life of fire in people that just does not go away. And I cannot explain that, Lord, but that's the truth. And I know there are people here sitting in this room, they understand that. Because they have a fire lit by you that will not go away but only grows stronger over time. So Lord God, I pray and ask that more and more people in our church, more and more people that whom we know around us will receive this fire of faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel. And especially, Father, as we face unprecedented times, Lord, let us be urgent. Let us be diligent in living out the gospel in our lives, but also sharing it with others. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord. As we do every Sunday, we're gonna spend a moment responding to God's word. God is so good, brothers and sisters. You know, maybe right now, for some of you, you need that grace and peace multiplying over your life. I just encourage you, just reach out to him. He will begin to wash his grace and peace over you like waves washing over the sands on the beach. back to the first point you need goals a goal in your Christian life the goals that are in scripture of having assurance in your faith a rock solid faith and also entrance into Jesus eternal kingdom don't you want to be in his eternal kingdom and know that you know that that is where you'll be a goal becoming more and more like Jesus that's another goal Paul talks about that but let's just come before him let's just spend some time thank you Lord Jesus